Hello, and thank you for joining us from wherever you are. This is the SBS Replay podcast from the NYU School of Professional Studies Student Council. This season, we are proud to present our How I Got Here lunchtime series, where we listen to the stories of our professors, alumni, and members of our community about their career, their journey, and how they got here. In this episode, we are joined by Professor Lauren Gretsch. Lauren Gretsch is an entrepreneur, travel expert, destination wedding specialist, and professor based in New York City. She is the founder of the international wedding planning company LLG Events, where she plans, designs, and executes extravagant weddings upwards of $500,000. She is now an adjunct instructor at the Tisch Center of Hospitality at the NYU School of Professional Studies. The original session was recorded on Zoom and was hosted by the president of the NYU SBS Undergraduate Student Council, Maya Kwok. Well, welcome. Yay. Hello, Lauren, Greg. We're so excited to have you. (laughs) Um, As many people know, you are a luxury wedding planner, wedding and event planner, but many may not know that you're actually one of us. You're an amazing professor here. And as April said earlier, I'm not going to spoil too much because I would love for you to kind of self-brand, self-promote yourself. But so just a couple of things about Lauren before we get started. We're insanely lucky and happy to have her. She's an entrepreneur, travel expert, destination and wedding specialist, professor based in New York City. And I love how all over your website, we cannot forget you are also Paul's wife. <laughs> so could we please hear your introduction, what, a little bit about yourself, and then also you can roll right into your amazing story to how you got here. Oh, man. Okay. So hi, everyone. I'm Lauren Greck, and I am a 30-year-old entrepreneur. I started my business when I was 24, so I got out of my master's program. I was a research and development scientist. I was studying how people died, and I was getting my master's. And so I was working in the Emmy's office, and I absolutely hated my life. I did not want to be there. I was getting engaged. I got engaged, and I was having all this excitement. And I realized that I was totally in the wrong field, in the wrong profession. And I'm like, I'm, I need to make a change. And so after we got married, I decided to enter the incredible journey of entrepreneurship. And ever since then, I have stayed in it. I'm a six-year entrepreneur and I have opened and closed many businesses. I have been successful in some, not successful in others. And so LLG events happens to be one of my success stories. I started that company in 2015. I was 25 years old. I had absolutely nothing. I had no money. I had just gotten married and I moved our entire life back home into my in-laws house. And I said to Paul that We have no choice, but I'm starting a wedding planning business, so I hope you're on board. And I just loved wedding planning so much. I love the events industry. I think it's so fun, so vivacious, and you get to meet so many different people. There is nothing more incredible than planning an event, designing an event, and then seeing all of that come to life. And I just knew that I wanted to be a part of it. And so I moved us back home had nothing going on except for the fact that I quit my job and I said, I'm going to start this business. And I just had to bootstrap and figure out how I was going to get started. And I went back to the place that we got married 
and I started volunteering and I did six months of hard work. I was a bathroom attendant, a bridal attendant. I did valet. I was a bar back. I would literally stack chairs and tables. I was the one rolling up my sleeves and Paul was with me right by my side. We were doing it together every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night whenever they had an event. And so I was there for six months until they eventually gave me a position to start doing my own weddings with their clients. And this venue was Ohika Castle. I don't know if any of you guys know this place, but essentially I got my start by simply just going out there, putting myself out there and saying, I'm going to volunteer just to see what this is all about. And that is just one avenue that I pursued in terms of events. And uh, I have been incredibly, incredibly blessed. I ended up moving from the Ohika Castle venue, started doing events at Cipriani, the Rainbow Room, Plaza, Pierre. Within two years of my business, I had some of the best names and behind my brand. And then I quickly grew international and I got to travel all over the world. And I had been very blessed to do events in Bora Bora, Greece, Mexico, Abu Dhabi, Dubai. And I literally got to travel the world for free. And so I was a glorified travel influencer. I was also an event planner and I then started my own PR company. And so all the things that I learned how to do, I learned purely by experience, learning, failing, <laughs> succeeding. And, and that kind of just got my start. And that's been the progression of my entrepreneur career. Amazing. And, and it seems like such a short time too. You were just a go-getter from the start, which is what um, I really admire. And I love hearing that from anyone that we've had these series with is they're like, you just got to do it. And so that's like, any of us could just pick up and do it. So I love always hearing that. And another thing that I really wanted to touch upon is that big moment in your life when you were, this is the wrong profession for me. I think a lot of us, because we've got grad and undergrad here, encounter that in many different aspects, whether it's, you know, something as drastic as a career change or maybe just like deciding the school that you're in and maybe you want to transfer. So things like that. And I always love how transparent and completely honest you are. So I wanted to hear from you what arriving at that decision was like for you. I wasn't happy. Ultimately, I knew in the bottom of my heart, I was doing something that I was no longer enjoying. When you don't wake up and you're not excited about your day, or you're not excited about your work or the class that you're taking, that is a red flag. So every aspect of my life, I was making choices where I was no longer happy. And so when I found there was something when I planned my wedding that ignited a passion in me, a passion that was like, I'm willing to work for free just mm -hmm. because I want to be here. I'm willing to study in this class and, and pay for this class because I simply just want to be in this class because I enjoy that class. And so for me, that lightning bolt moment was when, A, I recognized my own unhappiness and recognized that there was so much that I could be doing outside of research and development. I was supposed to be a doctor. I was going, I literally got a full ride to go to St. John University to get my PhD. My company was paying for it. And when they told me that, it paralyzed me. I was like, oh my God, why are they investing in me? They're investing more money into me when this is so not what I want to do. Like, I actually hate this career and I don't want them to spend money on me or my mom and dad to spend more money on an education mm -hmm. where I wasn't happy. And so I was like, I have to stop fooling myself. I got to just take the jump, take the leap and say, I got to go for something different. And so when weddings came along, it was just like an incredible igniting of passion that just took over me. And I was like, whatever I have to do to make this work, I'm willing to do. 
So I would say if you're in that place right now, you got to figure out like, what is, what makes you happy? Is it traveling? Is it blogging? Is it cooking? Or is it simply taking a really cool class or being a creative? Like when I was growing up, creatives and being a creative was not really a career trajectory. Mm -hmm. It was doctor, lawyer, accountant, teacher, like it was all those real professions. So I call them. And so being an event planner was never seen as a full-time career. It was always seen as a hobby. And now with NYU and everything that this program is standing for, even with hospitality and making these careers for creatives, people that enjoy content creation, people that enjoy writing and people that enjoy vlogging. And so if you find that you have that passion, I would say, leave your side hustle, pursue this full time and just go for it. You totally can go for it. The only thing holding yourself back is yourself. Yeah. And I think, I guess that's part half of the, or a lot of the battle is that what I love that you touched upon is that it wasn't an accepted career field or, you know, all of these creative outlets were usually not seen traditionally as like a just that as a career path. I know for me, within my family, everyone's an engineer, everyone's a doctor, a lawyer, and I was like, I'm going to hospitality. Yep. <laughs> so I could definitely, I definitely relate to that. And I think a lot of us can in our own ways. That leads me to my next question. So being the groundbreaker that you are, always kind of entering into a new space, as we heard, you're always kind of not reinventing yourself, but taking on the next and the next. When you're that person, when you're the one kind of creating that, as we say, in this blue ocean, who do you look up to? Like who inspires you, if not yourself? That's a really good question. Recently, my, my inspiration leaders have changed. I think that everything that's going on with the BLM movement, everything that was going on with COVID, I realized that the people I had maybe been looking up to were not really the people that, not really who I wanted to be. And so I kind of really just recently went through a whole switch of like, who I would say is someone that's incredibly inspirational for me. And I, I, I look up to CEOs that are changing their fields, people that are challenging the norm. I would say that, you know, I used to look up to Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook, and I thought that he was doing a lot of incredible things by connecting people. And then some, you know, a lot of different stories had come out about him that really didn't make me feel very comfortable. Like, is this really yeah. someone to relate to anymore? Is this, is this the person that I want to be or I envision myself yeah. being? And so like now I've taken a bit of a step back and I look at people as simple, like I would give you an example, like JLo, Jennifer Lopez, Mm -hmm. typically did not look up to her. She was like very much an entertainer, a performer. And then during the whole COVID thing, I started seeing like a new side to her and watching her and interact with her kids. And I saw like how she was such an inspiration for females and, and any creative And I was like, you know what, this woman is, she can, she makes it work. Like she is a hard worker. She is a a hard hustle. And I realized that when, when you think, you know, somebody's, or you think, you know, someone or like based on what you see on Instagram or what Mm -hmm. you see a few times a year when they're performing is not really who they are. And I think COVID really exposed a lot of that when it came to celebrities and it changed my perception of who I was even looking up to. And I went back to like, even starting to look back at Oprah, like Oprah is such an inspiration. What she was able to achieve in her lifetime is absolutely incredible to me. Or like Angelina Jolie, that's another woman like, and these are women that I just keep looking up to, but then you find other creatives. Like, I don't know if anyone knows the Venus at Floor brand. That's the flowers that last for one year. 
It was started by an Indian couple and Basima and, and Sunny. And I really absolutely loved their story of how they came together as a husband and wife duo and they started a business together. And like, they're my age. So I used to always be inspired by people that were like 20 years older, but now in fact, it's people that are younger than me or mm-hmm. my age that are really inspiring me today to challenge myself and, and to push boundaries. Mm-hmm. See, I, I hope everybody else is feeling this. I just love her honesty. Like she's not afraid to admit that she's inspired by people younger than her and none of us should be. I think that's really amazing. Like I've been inspired multiple times by my best friend's younger brother and it's actually like, it's true. And you're so right about how COVID has given us a lot of things, but it's also exposed us to who people really are. And so touching on your honesty and a lot of core values, I wanted, I was hoping you could share with us the core values of your company, if not also your, your own self, because I know there are a lot of changes right now, but you know, keeping a company as long lasting and continually evolving, there's got to be really strong core. So we have, when we look for new hires, we always look at their values. Like to me, that is something that I think a lot of companies are always looking at your skills and your resume and your cover letter. I hate all of that. I'm like, I can't, I can't feel you off a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. Like how am I supposed to relate to this person off of a, a resume? So what I care about is getting on the phone with this person and literally just seeing where like, for example, I'll give you an example. When I interview somebody, I'm always at, I give them a scenario about how they operate as a team. Are they a team player? What would they do in this situation? And how would they operate together? I love people that are, have really strong ethical and, and are very grounded. I think that's incredibly important these days. Someone that also looks at diversity and incorporates diversity into their life. It's very easy for a lot of companies right now to put out a statement that we're diverse or we're you know, giving 15% of our shelf space to black owners. And I'm like, yeah, but where were you guys last year? Before, where yeah. A few years ago. Like this isn't, you know, black people didn't exist just now. Like they've always been been there. Asians have always been here, Jewish people, Greek people. And it's like diversity has to be a mindset. It is Mm -hmm. not just an action that I take today because I, you know, it's, it's the cool action to take, or it's the movement that's inspiring it. It's has to be a piece of you. So when I look at my my team, I make sure a, I have a well-rounded team, an ethical team, a diverse team that doesn't see that Daryl is LGBTQ. Great. That's amazing that he is, but it doesn't, doesn't influence the business. It doesn't Mm -hmm. change who he is. It just means that it just offers him a different perspective. Mm -hmm. So I'm always looking for people that can challenge my perspective and help me make a different and make me different choices. And that I think in is the core of our team, which is why I think we've been so successful, which is why we've done international events is because we've been able to re- resonate with Muslims and Jewish people and Greeks and Italians and Asians and Chinese culture. We have made it so part of our lives. And I think that that's important for me when I find a new hire or anybody as part of my team. I think that's incredibly important. Also, just to switch gears a little bit, because I did not forget everyone here that she is a wedding planner. Okay. (laughs) Um, uh, So I love that you mentioned in a lot of your work, and obviously we could tell from your Instagram, you're always traveling, you get to try exotic food. Yeah. And just live this lavish lifestyle. But um, as we touched upon earlier, you know, sometimes that's not always 
what it seems. So I was just wondering what you would say honestly about uh, the people you get to work with, your industry. Was there anything that you encountered when you first entered that wasn't exactly what you thought you were going to get? So when I first started in the industry, it all very much seems incredibly collaborative until you really start asking people, can I volunteer? Can I work for you? And you start putting yourself out there and the amount of doors that get shut, it can get really depressing because it's like, you think you're good enough. You're putting yourself out there. You're doing all the right things. You're listening to these speakers and you're thinking like, this is how I can get this job or how I can get this opportunity. And then all of a sudden it's like all these doors were closing on me. And I think part of the industry back then was everybody was very much into themselves, into their own businesses. They didn't want to share or collaborate information. And this is, I would say, weddings. I don't know if this is in fundraisers or galas or other types of sporting events. Like specifically, the wedding industry was very, very secluded and isolated. And I almost called them lone wolves because they all operated as a self-entrepreneur and didn't want to help other people. And I said to myself, like, that was one thing about the industry that I didn't really understand because I'm the exact opposite. Like, mm -hmm. I'm happy to share with you guys how I got started. That's why I became a teacher. I started teaching my process. And so I wanted to help as many people as possible. And I realized that very early on that maybe the industry didn't share that sentiment with me. And that was a little discouraging. And back to the whole travel thing. It is incredibly amazing and luxurious to go to all these places and I make it look really cool. But half the time I'm there for 48 hours and then I'm moving <laughs> to another location. I'm exhausted. I just burnt myself out because I had 32 events this year and I literally had no break, no weekend off. And then I'm traveling, going to these locations, teaching, speaking, ins like inspiring. And I realized that like once COVID hit, a piece of me like died a little bit. Like I miss that lifestyle now. Cause I, at the time when I was going through it, I was like resenting it. But mm -hmm. now that I don't have it and I'm by myself and like in my apartment alone with my husband and it's like, nothing is going on. I realized that I should have been a little bit more grateful for the hustle and bustle for a little bit of that adrenaline rush I was getting by running and operating a business. And I, I'm totally missing that right now. And I would say, yes, it does look glamorous. There's a lot of work involved, but you miss the work when you don't have the work. Interesting. And so I really like that you brought up the hustle and bustle because a lot of us here are student leaders as well. And just in general, just being a student in New York, you know, you kind of live that on a daily every second. I used to tell my mom when I first got there, I was like, I see all these people, they're walking somewhere. I should be walking somewhere. Like, <laughs> but I really would love to know your key to a work-life balance, I guess before now or now, maybe what now has taught you, because I found it that I could get really sucked into something. I'm like, does this make me passionate that I have no boundaries anymore? Or does this make me psycho? Uh, so I would love to know <laughs> your, your tips and tricks to how to handle it all. So before COVID, I was working anywhere from 12 to 14 hours a day. And that is not an exaggeration. I would wake up at like six and then I would not stop working till about 10 o'clock. And it got, I definitely had the burnout syndrome in 2019 because I started two companies. I started curriculum building for NYU. I started a technology app that year. It was like, I was doing way, way too much. And I think part of that is our culture. It's like, it's always this culture of more, have to achieve, have yes. to grow, have yeah. to get more jobs, more money, more opportunity. It's like, when do you ever just stop and limit yourself and just take a minute and say, 
wait a second. Like I got there. I, I, I'm traveling the world. I'm doing those things. Like, I don't need more of that. Like, why do I need to travel every other week? Why can't I just be satisfied with just traveling once a month or every other month? So work-life balance is interesting now post COVID because after all that stopped, I realized I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to work 13 hours a day. I don't want to wake up at six o'clock if I don't have to every day. I want to wake up naturally when my body tells me to wake up. I want to work when I feel like it's a good time to work and I'm in a good headspace and I, I'm, I have a great environment around me. Like I kind of started changing even working smarter rather than working harder. Mm-hmm. And that I think took me a long time. And if there's anything I could teach you guys today, it's learning how to trust your gut and intuition. And sometimes it doesn't mean you're cramming and studying every single day. That doesn't mean you're going to retain the information better. And that's what I even tell my students. Like every time we do an assignment, I give them a week off and I say, you need a week in between assignments because you can't keep just pounding information into your head all the time. Cause otherwise you're not going to retain anything. It's mm-hmm. just so overwhelming. And if you just start listening to your intuition a little bit more and, and like just honestly giving yourself time and space, the answers come to you and actually you become that much more efficient because you know where to go next as opposed to always trying to figure it out. Does that make sense? That makes complete sense. I see so many nods too. We are feeling that right now. Yeah, I need to take a minute. I'm so happy that this is recorded because I'm going to replay that for myself. <laughs> just yeah, because- you should. I've been listening to this new podcast and it's something about called like working off of gut intuition. When you feel like it's your time to be working or studying or going out, like you have to feed what your body and what your mind needs at that time. You might need sleep, but if you don't take sleep or you're taking an Adderall to stay up awake and just like to keep studying, like that's not, that's not good. Yeah. Not helping you. And working 14 hours a day, do you really think I got more accomplished then than I do now? No, absolutely not. I just convinced myself that in order Mm -hmm. to be productive, I needed to work 14 hours. And that was really, really bad programming. Really, really bad programming. And this whole post-COVID experience made me realize that I can't work like that because otherwise I'm going to continue burning out. Do you know Avicii? The, the, the DJ that yes, ended up yeah. killing himself like two years ago. I watched that documentary recently and I realized that nobody ever just gave him the time and space that he needed to just relax, travel, yeah. read a good book, listen to a good podcast, meditate, exercise, drink some more water, like things like that. It's just, it's a reminder to always be present. And if I tell, if there's something you guys walk away with today, it's, learning how to be more present in your life, where you could hear what you guys want to do, where you're excited and striving, and every day is a new day. You don't need to hustle every day. I promise you, you'll still get to the same place because it's already waiting for you. I love that. We're getting a lot of things in the chat being like, can more professors be like you? And I would, perfect transition. Thank you, Rachel. Really wanted to touch upon your experience being or creating the United States' first master's program in event management by New York University. Let's all take a moment. Ah, um, <laughs> that's amazing. So I just wanted to know what that experience was like, how they approached you, because that must have been a whirlwind. So I was 28 
when I was approached by NYU. So I'm pr very close to most of your ages, right? Like, I mean, I did not think I would be a professor at 28 years old. No, like nobody could have told me that. And I actually got rejected from NYU for my undergrad and my grad. And I actually wanted to end up going to medical school at NYU and it just did not happen. So to then come back and then be asked to build a curriculum, it was just so insane to me. It didn't make any sense. Because I was like, what are you talking about? Why would I be fit for this? But truthfully, I think it was probably one of the best decisions Lynn Menard made because yeah. it really helped our students connect with the next, like what the generation is going to look like for event professionals, what that next generation is going to be like. And I think if we would have had a lot older professors, I don't think that they would have been able to relate to us. I mean, I consider you mm -hmm. peers almost where I want to help you grow and succeed because if you grow and succeed, the industry grows and succeeds. And so what I started doing in 2018, I was nominated for the Forbes 30 under 30 list. And I went to Forbes summit in Boston. And I was like, look at all these guys. Like, everybody was there. It was about like 19, 20, 21. They were just like, we really want to meet inspiring people like yourselves. And I realized that students don't have a place where they can meet one another and talk to one another and outside of like their community and their school. So what I started to do was these free meetups where I would get students from multiple universities across New York City and I would get them together. And NYU ended up finding one of those meetups and asked to host a meetup. And I went there, I brought about 50 people to NYU, vendors and suppliers, as well as students. And I think it was kind of like my interview at that point because I ended up going on stage and like talking and, and moderating a panel. And then after that, I was invited back again and then again. And then finally Lynn was like, we, you know, the students love you. We're, we're, we would love to have you a part of the event design and production syllabus. And we would love for you to create that and put your fresh perspective on the industry into that pro into the program. And after that, it was pretty much, early 2019 where I started building the curriculum with Lynn, outlining what we wanted, what I wanted to teach, what I wanted to talk about, what I think was important and relevant. And then it spiraled. And then eventually my husband loved what I was doing so much that Paul ended up becoming a professor. Yeah, so cool. And now he's a professor in event technology and quantitative methods for business. And so he's more of like a tech guy and I'm so not. And, and he, you know, loves teaching just as much as I do. So it's like, this really cool husband and wife duo started our first wedding planning business, started a PR company, started an event technology business, and now we both teach together. And we've done this all within five years, which to me is kind of crazy because I don't even know where the next five years are going to go and like what we're doing. But I could tell you guys right now that if I could do it, I came from an immigrant family. I'm a first generation American. I'm Peruvian. My mom immigrated here from Peru when she was 13 years old. We did not have connections. I did not know anybody at NYU. I was not an alumni. I just made it purely by hard work and effort. And so that alone should inspire you for anybody that's here that's immigrating or comes from that type of family. You can do it. You can do it. You could be that change for your family. And that's really what I wanted to be for mine. Aww. I know you talk a lot about too. If anyone go check out her everything after this, by the way, read her website, read the LLG website. Yes, do it because you talk a lot about legacy. And I think this whole entire time and every point that we've touched on in your career, you can really see how you're leaving that legacy, achieving all that you 
set out to do. So I just wanted to hear lastly, before I open it up, how you view your legacy now, where you think that'll take you and just any advice you have. Any advice? Well, I think the biggest advice, like I said, is mm-hmm. learning, being present and where I think my legacy is. I love teaching. I realized that I probably love teaching more than I like event planning. I, I fell in love with my students this year. I fell in love just with the whole environment at NYU. I was super sad to go remote. There was something about being in a classroom and inspiring people to be part of this industry. And I think that the events, hospitality, and tourism industries, while yes, they have all been shuttered right now, that just means it is ripe for innovation yeah. and opportunity. Yeah. This is the time to just stay steadfast in your careers, continue learning, continue watching the markets, continue seeing what's going on every day and finding and waiting for that slingshot moment where this industry is going to take back off again. Because as soon as we have a vaccine or as soon as we have enough cases that are below a certain level, like the industry will rise. And I believe that 1000%. We this people need this industry people need entertainment love hospitality travel we need culture and yeah. that's what that means so if anything my legacy right now would be reminding myself that what i was able to accomplish in 5 years and although everything has taken a pause i know that when we do come back i need to come back stronger and i need to be ready for the next 10 years of my life mm-hmm. from 30 to 40 because I made a huge impact from 20 to 30. And it's like, what am I going to do from 30 to 40 now? How am I really going to change, change the trajectory of a, my career as, but also the career of my students to make sure that you guys have a place to come to and an industry to come to when you do graduate and when you're ready to come back. I also lied a little bit. That sparked a different question. Yeah. Um, So how you said you were very sad. I think a lot of us too are that a lot of our classes are online. So especially for events and just the way that we can already gather the way that you teach. How do you see that? What are you taking into like your Zoom classes? How do you feel that'll be? My Zoom classes. So this past semester when we did have to, when we all went remote, I think that was one of the most difficult things for the, for the class. And pretty much there was one entire day where I was like, I'm not lecturing let's just all talk about the current situation. Like, I literally just want to hear how you all feel right now. This is an unprecedented time. There is a lot of changes happening in the event and hospitality industry and travel and tourism. And I just kind of wanted to hear what everyone was feeling. And so what I did was I allowed everyone to just submit questions to me about my business, what I had to do as an entrepreneur. I mean, I did have to lay everybody off. I went we had to furlough people. That was, that was a reality that the students wanted to hear about because I could sit here and teach all I want about process and event sales and design, but nobody wanted to hear that. Mm-hmm. People wanted to hear reality. What was really happening? What was going on in the industry? So I think that the way you change your Zoom classes is it's not always focused on teaching. It's not always focused on education. It's also listening and listening to your students because your students are also your teachers. And if their concerns become your concerns. And so I just wanted to make sure I was here for everybody because it was a challenging time. And so now next, next semester, I've been thinking about what I'm gonna do differently. Definitely wanna bring in more interesting speakers. Um, definitely want to have more interesting dialogue. Like I do in-class assignments, I make it fun. I try to talk about different 
um, different obstacles and challenges I'm facing within my business. So I'm trying my best. It's not mm -hmm. ideal, but definitely trying my best. No, I found that too, that the best teachers that I had at least last semester when everything turned online was that it was more open. Like, let's just have a conversation. I think that was not only are you checking the people are engaged box, but you're really still making a difference in what your connections are and what you're teaching them. Um, so I'll shut up now. Questions, questions, people, you can leave them in the chat. You can turn on your mic, uh, maybe raise your hand so then we can, you know, know and not do that awkward Zoom thing where no one ends up to get talking. But yeah, I'm sure there are a million questions. I have so many questions, so I could stay here. All oh, April, time. yes. Go ahead. So Lauren, I actually like, I, one of the reasons why I fell in love with you without even knowing you and your story is just, I mean, you know, being first gen, a daughter of immigrants, like I relate to all of that. And I think one of the hardest challenges in being like the first, right, to go through anything is you're expected to have a certain, like I was expected to go to med school. I was like, I was right out of high school. I was going to go to, I was majoring in like neuroscience and that was what I was supposed to do. And the path that I took ended up being like taking years off of school for financial purposes, working. And like, I didn't start school until later. And I ended up going to community college and now I'm at NYU. So it's like, it's not the path that was, that I was meant to take, that I was supposed to take, right? According to these standards. So I think for you to say, you know, your, your drastic career change and just your sharing your story is so inspirational because it's, you know, it's great to see people that didn't take that path and are still making it and made it, you know? <laughs> Not only, I know, like I said, I stalked you on Instagram, um, but like you had a post where you're like, you know, after being rejected for NYU for undergrad and then grad, but now you're teaching there is so inspiring. And so I, I, A, wanted to thank you for that. And B, I also wanted to ask you as, so I started my consulting firm at 20 years old because I was in the work field and we've grown now where we have about 20, 25 people at a time working. And so, but it's hard sometimes being my age and being a woman because my, my business partner is a man, but I'm a woman. We have very few women in, in what we do because we work in politics. Mm -hmm. And so it's sometimes when I go into a meeting, I'm surrounded by people that have no idea what it's like to work in my field because they're older, they're men, and you know, they've, they've been passed on these companies or whatever it is. So how do you deal with that? I mean, sometimes it's so frustrating, right? Because totally. I know what I'm doing. I'm, I, I've done it 10 times better than you. I've proven that. But still you get this like, well, you're young and you know, what, why, why should I listen to you? So I don't know if you've ever experienced that, the founder of your company and doing everything that you do, but if so, how do you deal with that? So it's so, so funny that you brought that up because when I started, I never wanted to tell people my age. Everybody always viewed that as against, I was, it was against me that I was 25. I was, this was my first job really in event planning. And also it was a very male dominated industry at that time. So all the venue managers, all the top people, like people that owned the venues, we're all men. And I found it incredibly intimidating because there would be times where they wouldn't talk to me, but they would talk to Paul. Yeah. And that always pissed me off. Cause that's like, I'm the CEO here. Like I'm the event planner, but you want to go and talk to Paul. And he was so great about it. And, um, 
But the best way to, to overcome that is kill them with kindness. Yeah. Always like, you know what, I'm going to show up. I'm going to show you that I deserve respect, that I'm here for a reason and I deserve to be in this boardroom and in this conversation. And the way you do that is by maintaining composure by allowing them to maybe continue having that level of arrogance, but in the, in the back of your head, you know that, you know what? I know that there's no one better or worse here. We're on the same level. And in fact, if you're the one in control of your emotions, then you're the one in control of that conversation because those people are typically not in control. And that's why they have to exemplify their power or their manliness or whatever it is that they're doing to make you feel small and inferior. That is on them. That has nothing to do with you. And that comes for everybody. I don't think that that's very female specific. There are plenty of men that also get that, get that feeling of inferiority because another man is, or a woman is trying to talk down to them. Yeah. So that happens in every industry with every person, even especially if you're an immigrant, that's, it's always being, you're always kind of seen that way of this like inferior superior level that is on the other person. And as long as you remember that and you don't allow that to hurt you and touch you and make you feel inferior, then you're going to make, remain in control and you're going to prove to them whether you prove to them or not doesn't matter, but you will prove to yourself that, you know what, I deserve respect and I deserve to be here regardless of what these people think because I know I'm badass. So you got to remember that every single day of your life. That advice I hear so often from women who, you know, are these amazing entrepreneurs just, you know, inc- have made it. And it's like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like, I am badass. <laughs> you are. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And it, it, it does suck that, like, you, you do have to be the bigger person, right? Because it, it's, it's the only way to really do it with people like that, because th- that stems from a lot of ignorance. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. The way your husband was, you know, great for you. My business partner for me, you know, it, it's come to the point now where anything, any, like, call or consultation that happens, he's like, oh, you got to take it up with her. Like, she makes the final decisions. And I think that support system also adds to, to totally the company right so I'm having people work with you that have that same mentality I think also increases the the value of of the company and totally I completely agree with you perfect segue again I don't know how uh Margie will get to you right after this one it came in the chat from Miriam she said Lauren your story and your success motivate many of us when we feel like giving up on our goals so my question is what do you do to motivate yourself when you're feeling down this has not been an easy journey guys as an entrepreneur I have been navigating some very difficult times in the past six months. And so I have been feeling down recently. And what I learned how to do, I focus inward. And what I learned in the past couple of months is I needed to take time for myself, things that made me happy, whether it was having a good cup of coffee, reading a really good book, listening to a podcast, taking a bath, like very simple, basic luxuries, very simple, has been able to help me get through on the bad days. And I'm not going to say it's been easy. I would be lying if I told you that I'm happy and successful all the time. It's so not like that. It's actually recently more bad days than good. And every day is a challenge. And so the only way I know how to help myself is getting up, meditating, listen to someone who's inspiring. I did the 21 days of abundance with Deepak Chopra, which was an experience. I did, I started journaling 
And I just started listening to my feelings like, okay, so I'm depressed today. Okay, so today's not a good day. Today I didn't book that job. I was supposed to book a $100,000 job, literally couple weeks ago, they did not book me. They booked another planner and that sucked. Cause like you need that money. You need that drive to continue moving forward. And mm. it's okay that it didn't happen. But at the time it did not feel okay. It felt like I failed and I wanted to give up. I was like, what am I doing? Why am I continuing to do this? And then every day I just challenged myself to do something like a small luxury. So I'll eat like I said, I'll have a really good cup of coffee or go for a two hour walk on the Brooklyn Bridge. And I just enjoy life's simplicities. And that has been something that the only way sometimes to get through is by simply going back to basics and like just reading a book for the day and being like, that is enough. I did one thing productive by just opening up this book and just to try and help my mental state today. That's all the productivity I need and stop challenging myself to be more productive or to, like hurt myself mentally yeah. but like oh I did not do enough today you got to get rid of that mentality sometimes because that's the that's the mindset that br- breaks you journaling I'm a huge fan of journaling as well that's a huge thing we have a we had a couple events last semester where they kind of promoted that too so I really enjoyed that Marky you had a question hi Lauren thank you for sharing your story I'm so excited to be here I've always been very very excited about event planning. I've done done a lot of events in the past, just like through schools and colleges. And it's such an exciting field to be in. And it's so amazing to see you've made such a solid space for yourself there. And I love the bit that you spoke about on spirituality, because I'm a big, big believer of meditation and spirituality. And I feel like it's the way to success and personal growth. But that brings me to my question. You mentioned earlier that you have done a couple of, you know, you've really deep dived into cultures and uh, done a lot of international weddings in the past. I just want to quickly understand the process of uh, since wedding is the most important place to, you know, hold on to your culture. It's so important to understand. I mean, you're, you're Peruvian, right? So for you to say, do a, for you to do an Asian wedding is, it, it must be very difficult, right? Like to understand the culture and what exactly goes into it. So my question being that how, what's your process of, you know, really going through the graph of understanding a culture and the kind of wedding it demands? Great, 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 great question. So I would when I first wanted to do a Chinese wedding, I knew I had to learn about Chinese culture first. I didn't go out there and market to Chinese couples because I didn't know what the Chinese tea ceremony was. I didn't know what they, what, what part of their culture was, was, was wedding culture. And I just read a lot of different books, a lot of different blogs. I reached out to Chinese wedding planners so that I could learn from them and learn about their process and learn about the respect of that culture. So that culture is very much about respect and respecting your elders. That is why there's a whole Chinese tea ceremony where it is part of the event. And I just would spend a lot of time doing research. And then at one point I felt comfortable enough where I was like, you know what? I'm going to, oh, I also volunteered at my first Chinese wedding. So I would go out to different venues and I would say, listen, if you ever have a Chinese wedding or an Indian wedding or a Greek wedding, like I would just love to volunteer and be part of it. And then eventually I started marketing myself to these different couples based off of the knowledge that I started to gain. And then I would even ask them to teach me. So it got to the point where I would work with couples that, for example, I had a Greek wedding. And right before the day of, she asked me, what are you wearing to the event? And I said, oh, I, we always wear like these black dresses, pull our hair back. You know, we make sure ever like we make sure everyone looks very similar in the sense like this is the wedding planner team. And they were like, you know, you can't wear black to a Greek wedding. Right. And I said, 
what do you mean? And she goes, you have to wear like a navy blue because black is bad luck on the wedding day. And so that is something like your clients teach you too. And if you will give them the space and say, listen, like I'm so excited about working with you. I'm so excited about working at a Greek Orthodox church. I would love to learn more about your culture and some of the symbolism that is part of your culture. And from there, they end up, they love to talk about that experience. So your clients teach you, other vendors and professionals teach you, but also there's a lot of online resources to learn about different cultures that I, I happen to just go and look into. So there are ways that you could definitely, you know, be inspired by another, another culture. This is, it's so interesting to know that you're learning every day while being on job. And yeah. oh, thank you. Oh, that was so sweet. Uh, Aggie, you want to ask a question? Yeah. I wanted to ask about your branding. So like, I know lots of times when people are starting businesses, they have trouble differentiating their personal brand with like the brand that they're building. So yeah. can you just kind of talk about your process and like how much of that was you pushing your own brand versus your company brand? So in the first couple of years, I totally misidentified with my success, with the company's success. That is something that I definitely, you know, fell into. Your comp at the t at the beginning, you define your company and your brand by your from yourself, especially if you're a single entrepreneur and you didn't have a business partner. It's like LLG events was an extension of Lauren Greck, that it, the initials are even my initials. So of course it was very much part of me. I would say last year was the first time where I was in a really bad place. So much was happening in, in personally and then professionally that I would actually, I started personalizing the failures of LLG events and saying, this is my failure. Like I'm a failure. This is, and it got to the point where my mom was like, Lauren, your success for LLG events is not Lauren Greck's success. They are two totally different things. And you need to decouple that. If LLG events fails, that does not mean you fail. And when I first personally branded, I was so much branding based on who I was, what I liked, what my interests were, even the, pic the pictures I was choosing were things that I liked. And so it got to the point where it was for four years, LLG was such an extension of who Lauren Greck was. And then last year, I would say, I really started to figure out like, who am I personally? And that's why the joke is, you know, planner, professor, publicist, Paul's wife, because it is, it was, I was like, what are words that describe me and not LLG events? What are words that describe LLG events and not me? And that's where I really started recognizing that I wasn't just a wedding planner. I was an entrepreneur and I love multiple businesses. I, I love just being a business owner. I didn't necessarily, like if LLG events fails tomorrow, that doesn't mean that uh, me as an entrepreneur is going to fail tomorrow. I'm just going to start something else and I'm going to do something else. And personal branding is first like starting off with what words do you use to describe yourself? What, how would you, what would you, what would you start with? Do you, are you a travel expert? Are you a wedding specialist? Like these are words that I started to use to describe me versus the company. And I think that's when I started really decoupling the branding between LLG events and Lauren Greck. And that's when I started to personally brand myself as a speaker, motivator, publicist, and just entrepreneur and changing, changing my branding. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. We have another, we have like three more questions and then we'll 
we'll leave you to the rest of your day. Uh, so one came from Chetna, which thank you, Chetna, for coming, classmate of mine. So she says, thank you, Lauren, for your inspirational words. I wanted to ask you that an entrepreneur and a hospitality professional, what are some of the most important skills required to move you in your field success? Okay, definitely um, transparency. So transparency in your work, transparency in, you know, knowing and being able to recognize when something's right or wrong, I think is important, especially with your client. For example, your client may want to, you know, invest in, in, for example, a wedding, a client wants to invest in this like flower wall and, you know, if they just don't have the budget for it, being able to vocalize and, and be honest with your client and say, this is possible, this is not possible, but doing so in a respectful way. Being assertive is really important. Being able to assert your opinion, insert yourself into conversations respectfully. I would say having a strong opinion loosely held is important because every, you know, everybody has strong opinions about on the event day, how this is supposed to be set up, how this is supposed to work. And we have a timeline that we're following, but some days you gotta figure out a whole nother plan. So it's an ability, it's adaptability. It's a way for you to move throughout the event or throughout the hotel administration process. Anything that you're doing, it's just adaptability. So assertiveness, adaptability, transparency, organization. So whether you're organized on paper and pen, you're organized in an Excel document, or maybe it's just all in your head, being well organized, making sure that you have crossed your T's, dotted your I's, I think are really important in this, in this industry. Team player also, by the way. That's another one. You obviously need to be able to work in a team. Thank you. Okay, and then from Patrick, who's actually worked in the event offices at SPS, he asked, I'm interested to know if you are currently planning any events for the near future and any obscure challenges you may have or you have come across. So all of my events have been postponed to 2021. Mm -hmm. And the challenge that I'm currently facing is with new business where people will put a deposit with me, will plan, but they don't wanna book any vendors right now because there is so much uncertainty in the industry. So right now, my biggest challenge is how do I make my client feel comfortable investing their money? And how do I help them with psychological safety about attending an event again? Because a lot of people do not want to go to an event right now. There's a lot of fear that you're going to get sick or you're going to, you're going to infect somebody else. And so my biggest challenges would be how to maintain psychological safety in an event what do I have to do to make sure that my clients feel safe, but also my, my guests feel safe? And how do I ensure my client's investment within that vendor? So I've been doing something where I'm mandating some of my vendors to open up escrow accounts for my clients. So for example, I have a client that's spending about $150,000 on florals and they can't invest that type of money up front now for an event next year if the business is using that money today to, to float. It won't happen because what will happen is what will my client won't get flowers when their event is ready. And so a lot of, a lot of my management is about money management and figuring out, all right, well, we'll give you $25,000 deposit today, but it needs to go into a escrow account that we only access at the time of the event. And it's, that has been one of my biggest challenges is getting vendors to agree to that type of payment system where they're not using the money today. But also, even accepting credit card payments. Vendors were not accepting credit card payments because your client can always cancel that payment and then you don't have the payment, but it goes the same way. So if the client pays through American Express, let's say, and the, 
the vendor goes out of business, American Express 100% backs that money and the client can get the money back. But guess what? No vendors want to accept American Express. So my biggest challenge has been, how do I get vendors, A, to back the deposits my clients are giving them, but also how do I securely pay these vendors where my client's money is insured, where in the event that vendor goes bankrupt, I'll be able to get that money back and use it towards, towards another vendor. It's annoying. Oh, that helps. <laughs> it's very annoying. <laughs> <laughs> and then lastly, because we're all helping April plan this wedding of hers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Kidding. What are some insights that you have on wedding planning during this era of coronavirus and quarantine and all that? So I would say, oof, it's such a good question. You know, I would get wedding insurance. A lot of people did not get wedding insurance last year and they suffered greatly because they were their in, their money was not backed. So start with that. And any event should have event insurance, but wedding insurance I think is super important because there's it's only one day. A gala or a fundraiser can move to another to another date. We saw a lot of postponements even with weddings, but I would look at all of your contracts, make sure every vendor has a force majeure clause, make sure that they have a postponement policy, make sure you get at least one additional postponement inside of your contract so that in the event you do need to postpone due to a pandemic or a government shutdown, you have the ability to do so. And that I would say is really important. Most people were not really looking into their contracts for weddings and events. They were just kind of just signing and, and you know, leaving it be. But when they finally started looking at their contracts, they realized those contracts are in favor of the vendor, not in favor of the client. But if you don't hire a planner, you won't know that because I teach about contracts to my students, but not all of them, not all of them are real like, most vendors are not really looking at contracts. And so I would say definitely take a look at what you're signing because you might be signing to something that is not in favor of you as the client. My sister actually had a wedding in the middle of the pandemic. So I've very closely seen the whole wedding prep thing and it's, it's been so exciting. I feel like it, we really did try to make the most of it and it turned into a really cute, intimate little ceremony instead of like, Indian weddings are usually like 500 people. So it turned into a really cute, nice 30 people intimate wedding at like a farmhouse. Oh. And we were very happy so nice. about it. That's so nice. I'm sure you've had a difficult process trying to oh, figure yeah. all that out. Yes. With the sanitization that was required, that was the toughest part since it's also new, right? Like we don't know what the protocols are. So Exactly. We'll learn nice. Well, I yeah, would really want to say that uh, WIPA, it's the Wedding International Professionals Association, and we are starting a mentorship program where we're going to do more of like a shadow-like rotation. So I'm actually spearheading this where it's going to be a six-week mentorship, and each every two weeks you can rotate to a different vendor. So it's going to be more of like a matching for a residency program, like what, what, and so this is my doctor backgrounds wanting to do something <laughs> like this, but essentially you would choose the different vendors that you might want to work with, whether it's catering, venue, planner, photographer, floral designer, production company, sound, sound and lighting. So you could select what you want. And then based on where we match, you would have three of those vendors that you would start rotating with in a six week program. And I'm looking to start this this fall. So okay. if you guys, I would love to just stay in touch with you if anyone's interested in doing something like that. 
um, send me an email just so I could keep your name. And I would love to start promoting this with SPS. And I have a lot of vendors that are looking to do this and to mentor students and just show them the ropes within their respective categories. And I think that would be just so cool to give you guys some of that exposure. So let me know if you're interested. Um, for sure. I'm going to be on that list a million times. This is, you make me so, as we round this off, you, this is the reason why I am so excited to be, or just can, excited every day of coming to school because this is so much what I wanted out of like my college experience, especially New York City. I just wanted to be in the thick of it and really just kind of go. Like I always admired how in the UK they do apprenticeships, but like we don't do that really. It's not really like the norm here. And now you're giving me my little <laughs> dreams. So this is amazing. Thank you so much for coming and sharing as you always do. I left all of your links. I hope it's all right. We shared your NYU yeah. email, mm -hmm. which is so that. cute. So it's LEG, which like could be legacy. Look at that. So there it is. Exactly. <laughs> But thank you so much. You're such an inspiration to me and now all of everyone who thank you guys is here and who sees this. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I'm so grateful for this experience and I hope you all achieve your dreams and go for your goals. Thank you. Thank you to Professor Lauren Gretsch. Join us next week for Professor Michael Oppenheimer, a lifetime member of the Council on Foreign Relations and a faculty member of the Global Affairs Program here at NYU SBS. The SBS Replay Podcast is produced by the students of the NYU School of Professional Studies Student Council with Aggie Dent, Allie Weaver, April Cardena, Ariana Olivas, Shaquin Tao, Shirley Law, Shubra Mishra, Ding Wing. Special thanks to the NYU School of Professional Studies Office of Student Life. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SBSUSC and at SBSGSC. Thank you for listening and see you in the next episode. Take care.